Welcome to the Expert Connection Podcast with your host, Trish Lito. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you so much for joining me for episode two of the official podcast relaunch. Last night, I had the uh, honor and privilege of interviewing Ms. Kim Doyle. She is uh, formerly known as the WordPress chick, had a fantastic conversation with her. And uh, today, I am joined by Brian King. You're listening to the Expert Connection Podcast with your host, Trish Lito. Today, I am joined by Brian King. And Brian and I have been connected for quite some time now. And one of the things that he does that I just, I think is amazing is he, um, he coaches a lot of young people who suffer from ADHD. And it's a very real thing, especially in the entrepreneurial piece. So Brian, thank you very much for joining me. Um, thank you for joining us. And um, it's about damn time that I had you on and we talked about this. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Trish. And I agree 100%. We've crossed paths so often in the cyberspace. And now we finally had a chance to connect here. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what evolves. Yeah, it's it, this is an exciting time um, for, for me. I, I do talk about this. I'm going to be talking about this probably every episode, just a little bit, if nothing else, then to just touch on it. Because it's important that other people realize that there's people, you know, that they're not alone in this whole hey, let's make money online thing. And then you get stuck in about 15 different rabbit holes and, you know, oh, so-and-so is doing this and so-and-so is doing that. And I kind of got into a place where um, I looked at my business, I looked at everything, all these other business models that other people were doing. And quite frankly, at the end of the day, this just makes sense for me for um, spending my time best and just connecting with people. I really do. I, I enjoy connecting with people. I enjoy chatting with people, learning who's doing what in all different types of industries and niches. And so um, one of the things that I think is, is really interesting about you and people, you know, I'm going to obviously take the audio off of this and upload it to the podcast. But what people don't know right now is that I'm, you know, we're, we're talking on video and Brian, we just got on, on the call together and Brian's actually laying in bed because he's in a lot of pain in his left leg. So Brian, tell us a little bit about what, what type of ailments you, you face every single day and how you kind of conquer all of that with your mindset and help other people do the same thing. Well, what's happening right now is I have multiple sclerosis and in the past, over the past several days, I've had a lot of breakthrough pain, meaning that the medications that I take aren't cutting it. Now it would be a lot worse without the medications. So they are doing something, but they aren't doing enough. So it's hard for me to sit up for long periods, especially at a chair in front of my desktop computer. So I had to have my legs elevated, which you know, takes the pressure of gravity off them, helps them feel better. I also have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder, makes my tendons and my ligaments stretch out when I put too much weight on them. So if I walk too much, my joints become unstable and legs start to give out so that the Ehlers and the MS kind of work synergistically. So my legs don't last very long when I'm trying to walk. So short distances I can do, but if I had to walk around a grocery store, my legs start giving out, I run the risk of falling. So I have to use a wheelchair or 
one of those fancy carts with the baskets on it and all that. And that's in addition to the anxiety and depression and other things that, and the ADD and the dyslexia and all the other fun things I deal with. And what's really helps me bring it all together, and just to backtrack a little bit, this September, I will be celebrating 30 years cancer-free. I had cancer when I was 18. And that, to this day, is the pivotal experience in my life journey. Because talk about having your bubble burst. If you're going to have it burst, do it early, you know, before you have too many things in, in place, family and whatnot. But my, my bubble in terms of my own sense of immortality or, you know, the fact that I, I can't be stopped. I mean, I, I gave that up 30 years ago. And it was because of that experience that I decided I'm taking charge of my life. I'm going to be proactive. I'm doing things on my terms. So all the additional things that have been thrown at me since then, I have met with this attitude of resilience and resourcefulness that it's not going to stop me. It's not going to take away any quality of my life. What I'm going to do yeah. is learn what I must, surround myself with the people that I have to, to help me find the solutions, help give me the strength when I'm beaten down so I can live my life on my terms instead of having it eaten away by whatever this challenge is. So you were diagnosed with cancer at 18. Mm -hmm. Or 18, 18 years old? Or, yep, yeah, I was 18. Or 18. And so when you, was it, when did you start school? Because you have a degree in psychology, yes? Well, I have a master's in social work. A master's in social work. So when did you start that? Was it when you were 18? And, and were you going through school when you got diagnosed? I was three weeks shy of graduation from high school when the tumor was removed. Oh. and then I went through finals and graduated, and it was a month after graduation. They did a follow-up blood test, and they found the cancer was back and growing like wildfire. So I had to start chemo within 24 hours, and I spent my summer in chemotherapy. And it was after that that I began slowly getting back into community college, spent a couple years there, kind of finding my bearings and figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. And then I transferred to a four-year college and took about 12 years on and off after that to finish my undergrad and my master's program. Some of it was financial. Some of it was just going through my stuff, mm -hmm. you know, of trying to re-engage the world, trying to figure out, was this a good fit for me as what I wanted to do? And finally just buckled down, got it done, and started my career in social work. What made you want to do social work? Well, it's because that when I couldn't get a handle of the anger and the resentment and the bitterness and everything that came from going through the chemo, because my social support system imploded. I was virtually alone through the whole thing. Almost zero visitors, having the typical dysfunctional Midwestern middle-class family. Wow, that is awful. I'm so sorry that that happened. That, and, and yet, I made use of it. You know, at the time, it was awful. 
I can't even describe how hor horrible it was. But because I couldn't, I had a hard time finding the capacity to trust again. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody was the enemy. And I finally told my mom, I need some help. I can't get past this. I'm sick of living like this. Mm -hmm. So she helped me find a social worker who happened to be a man. And I spent two years working with him. And he created such a miraculous space for me. Mm. You know, my dad was macho, former Army Special Forces, very stoic, not really involved in us. So I had no idea that men could be compassionate, that they could be vulnerable. So here I met this guy who created that space for me, and I was able to go into those places that I needed to go safely. Yeah, yeah, and, you're, you're allowed to have emotions, you're allowed to be, yeah. And after the time I spent with him and I was going to college, it occurred to me that I felt so gifted by that time that I wanted to pay it forward. Yeah. So I said to him, I said, you know what, I think I want to do what you do. And he looked back at me and he nodded his head and he says, I think you're ready. So I kind of had my mentor's blessing. And so I took on social work, and that's really, I mean, I hope to cross paths with the man someday so that he can see what I've done with it. No, but so let's, let's talk about that. Uh, see, see what you've done with it. I have personally seen quite a few photos, and, and I've, um, I know that you've done some pretty incredible things. You've, you've spoken on stages, both standing up and in your wheelchair because, mm -hmm. of, because of your condition. Um, so tell me, how did going, how, how, how did that transition happen? What happened for you? It's, and, and, you know, kind of, if you can, a little bit more of the Notes version, because I have other questions for you. There's going to be people that are going to be really interested in listening to this episode because it's, it, I feel like it touches a lot of different people, different spectrums um, or different parts of the spectrum. So there's going to be younger people, older people, people who have dealt with what you have dealt with. Um, people who have faced battled cancer for themselves or other people in their life. So there's going to be a very broad audience that are going to listen to this and be like, wow, this is, this is pretty incredible. So if you can just kind of take me through um, the process of you became a social worker to you're speaking at these events, how did that happen? Well, I've actually been on the stage since fifth grade. I've, I've always had a bug whether it was acting or doing some amateur comedy or whatever. Me too. But, That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> but what led me to the big stages was just, as you hear me talking now, my capacity to speak about my story with passion and in a very articulate way. I've been gifted with the ability to use language in a very creative way. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I want to leverage that gift as much as I can. Yeah. And I started meeting people, other cancer survivors, and they belonged to cancer support groups. And they invited me to come and speak to their group. And everybody there would be moved by the way that I, I spoke and the way I, I connected them to their own story. And of course, those people knew their doctors and doctors were connected to hospices. And I was asked to speak at a benefit dinner for a hospice. And that was my first paid speaking gig. And I totally wowed them. And then they were connected with the American Cancer Society. And then I was asked to speak at the rallies. You know? And so people just kind of got to know me over time. 
And I started building relationships and those people were connected to other organizations. And then I started realizing, man, I can really do something with this. Yeah. I can impact people with this story. It's not just, okay, I had cancer and now I'm back on track. When people would talk to me afterwards about how it moved them, about how it made them feel more hopeful and motivated, and that, that wasn't something that I had envisioned for myself mm -hmm. after surviving cancer. That was something that just kind of evolved as I told my story and people started coming to me and asking me to tell more about it. And I've been doing that on and off for the past 30 years. And as I started getting into social work and other things started happening in my life and I made use of those experiences to build up my resilience, my resourcefulness, I began just talking about how to be more resourceful and resilient because life gives you stuff and it's all opportunities to be resourceful as opposed to being resentful. And when I got on the social, social media and you had things like Facebook Live happening, holy cow. Yep. Now I can connect with people all over the globe and tell my story of raising my own three sons, mm -hmm. all of whom have ADHD and forms of autism, and how I raise them to be resourceful and resilient mm -hmm. in spite of their challenges. And other parents coming to me saying, teach me how. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that for a minute. So you, you went from, that's a perfect segue. You went from doing this thing where you're on stages, you're getting in front of people. Now you're doing the social media thing. You've got three sons of your own. Um, and all the while you are dealing with your own true ailments in life. I mean, you're, you're, like you said, your, your, your leg hurts you. Some days you're, you, you mentioned that you're just absolutely exhausted. Some days you can't sleep. You have migraines. I mean, I can't even begin to fathom the amount of crap that you go through on a regular day. And like you said, your mindset's incredible. I mean, you say that it's, you know, going through crap or I say it's going through crap and you're saying, Hey, this is an opportunity for me to talk about this and help other people who are going through similar things. So you're doing that and you're doing it from your phone with the technology that we have on Facebook messenger. So tell us, tell me, tell the audience how you are, who are your clients? And how are you able to coach these people dealing with ADHD and other things that you know very much about, you can speak fluently about, how are you doing this every day? And, and are you, um, what's your max capacity for that? Like how many people can you handle in a month? Well, my clients are a combination of teens with ADHD, young adults with Asperger's syndrome, and their parents. And I work with them on their communication gaps, on overcoming challenges with organization, memory, social difficulties, basically everything you need to be successful in life. I help them to negotiate. And this all began not only because of my social work degree, but because I wanted to raise my kids to be effective members of society. And when they were diagnosed, I was diagnosed. So I learned that I have these challenges too. And so you didn't know that you had ADHD 
and yep. dyslexia until they diagnosed your kids with it. And then they kind of did the whole genetic thing and said, oh, well, let's test you too. These, these tests are done through a psychologist, you know, written tests and, and stuff like that, okay. observational. So I learned all of this because I started taking my older boy for tests when his teacher spotted some things. Uh, and when I was going through the paperwork, all the, you know, the checklists and stuff, and I saw so many red flags that I got myself tested, and that's when I found out. So it was my late 30s that I learned all this. And okay. it, occurred, it occurred to me that I had my own skill gaps still, and if I was going to raise my kids to be successful, I had to get my act together. So I was able to articulate to other parents what my challenges were, what my internal world was like. I was able to give them insight into their kids' lives that the PhDs they've been working with for five and plus years couldn't do. Of course. Of course. So they began flocking to me as the translator. I could translate their kids' world to them. So in raising myself, in raising my sons, and finding out what worked and what didn't work, I was more effective with my strategies than anything they were learning. So they wanted to come to me for me to begin helping them. And when I got divorced from my son's mothers and got custody of them, I needed to start coaching from home because I couldn't have a 15-hour-a-day private practice and raise my boys. So I switched over to coaching, switched over to doing things via phone and then via video. And then the MS and everything else hit. And it's getting harder and harder for me to be up and talking to people. I don't have the energy. But through things like Facebook Messenger, where you can record a video, you can record an audio, you can message people. I now have so many different ways I can communicate with people that maybe I can't talk to them live, but I can send them a video or an audio clip in response to a question they have. I can text back and forth with them all day long and give them the support they need, whether I'm sitting up at a desk or laying in bed. Mm -hmm. So that's how I continue to serve them, just tweaking and leveraging technology and, of course, having to woo them with being innovative with me mm -hmm. so we can maintain that relationship and I can maintain my business and support my family. So as far as my max capacity, it really depends on how I'm working with the people. Gotcha. If I'm doing texting, I can do easily 30 people or more because I'm not having to do 30 people in a day. You know, right. it's little exchanges throughout the week. Right. If it's live one-to-one -one like you and I are doing and I had to do that daily, I start the day strong, but usually by about 1 o'clock or so is when the pain starts to show up again, my energy starts to tank. So I've got to be really productive the first half of the day. Then the rest of the day is usually I've got to take a nap, which could last a couple hours. I've got to put my legs up. And from that point, it's really got to be strictly texting because I'm usually laid up after that point. So I feel like a lot of people get um, ADHD autism and Asperger's very confused. Would you mind kind of explaining what the difference is? Like what is ADHD? What is it really? And, and, and 
let's talk about that for a second and then explain to me what the difference between autism and Asperger's is because a lot of people get that very confused. Okay. ADHD refers to three specific things. Difficulty with maintaining attention or focus, hyperactivity and impulsivity. Yeah, you, were, you don't see us Trish is pointing at herself. You don't see this, but I, I just pointed to myself on the video. I know that I've got it. I don't need to be diagnosed with it. I'm okay. I can figure it. Like, I figure things out. I do very well with it. I, I've got some podcasts and some people that I work with, and I, I have my productivity times of the day. But anyway, please continue. <laughs> and, and that's basically, that's the trifecta of ADHD. If you have those three things going on, you have ADHD. Now, one thing they're finding out more and more about is, executive functions, meaning those abilities in your brain that allow you to execute. You've got a plan and you can execute on that plan. Things like prioritization, time management, organization. So I have yet to meet anybody with ADHD that just has those three things. There are a lot of other executive functions going on with it. We're now, when we're, <laughs> now, when we're talking about Asperger's, that's a term that doesn't exist in the psychiatric lexicon anymore in the U.S. Because, and I'll be perfectly honest, the idiots that put the book together to diagnose people decided that it was no longer a worthy diagnosis. It needed to be lumped in with the autism spectrum. Now, the autism spectrum has a lot of stuff going on. It's chronic developmental delays. It's difficulty with socialization, mm -hmm. with all the executive functions. I mean, you, you tend to have difficulties across the board. But the, the main things about autism is that extreme difficulty relating to the outside world. People with, the, with autism tend to be really inside themselves, incredibly subjective. Right. They're kind of... Lack empathy, right? Like Well, no, if anything, it's not lacking empathy. It's lacking perspective taking. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah, so the social piece, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I get that, okay. Because yeah. if anything, we tend to be so hypersensitive mm -hmm. that we're over-empathic. Yeah. We respond very strongly to emotional intensity around us. So sensory regulation is part of it. Mm -hmm. Things can be, there, there's a book that's titled something like Two... Too loud, too bright, too fast, too tight, something like that, mm -hmm. and refers to textures and sounds and smells and everything can be way too intense. Yeah. Um, I love talk. I really do love talking about this. Uh, there's nobody in my family who has, well, okay. So my, my husband's cousin has ADHD, like he's medicated. Like I'm telling you right now, I can't have a conversation with him for more than five seconds because he'll lose, like I, he'll, I'll lose him. So I can't tell him anything too long. And I know that like, it's, it's like an ongoing joke. Like he's God bless him. He can, we can laugh about it. And he's just like, is this going to take longer than five seconds? <laughs> And I'm like, no, this is what happened. Cliff's not like, you can't give him the Cliff's notes version. It's going to be like the exaggerated fast forward Cliff's note version. But it's, and, you know, and it's a funny thing. And again, he, he, he does take medication for it. Um, but in, in my family, there's no, no one with, um, you know, really with ADHD, Asperger's or autism, but I have absolutely many friends and extended family members who do have it. And I, you know, I've been around it enough. And um, it's to me, 
it's, I mean, I've seen kids with it and I'm just absolutely floored by the artistic ability of some of like, it's just, it's, I don't look at it as a quote unquote disability. I think that it's very unfortunately um, looked at from that perspective because people don't know how to, people are just, they don't know how to deal with uncomfortable, right? Like, you know, if you're not like, you know, the majority, then you're, you know, we got to give you a, a stereotypical quota, like a, 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 a title, right? But I see some children who have it, and I'm just like, floored. Like, I'm just amazed. Yeah. By how the, the, the bottom line is ADHD is a context diagnosis. That's you, me. I know yeah. I have it. Like, I know I have it. You, you look at a kid in the classroom, and poor focus, hyperactivity, and impulsivity are issues. But if you take a young girl who fidgets and taps her legs a lot, and you find out that she loves dancing, and you put her on a stage, now she's an elegant ballerina. She's no longer ADHD. In that context where she gets yeah. to use that energy, it changes. Somebody who is an abstract artist, who if the canvas looks a little scattered, but there's some kind of logic to it, such a brilliant, gifted artist. But in the classroom, it's stop doodling and pay attention. Oh my gosh, I know, and I really do hate that. I really do. There's, uh, listen, I have such, I have a very strong opinion about that stuff, and I'm not, I don't want anybody to, um, I, don't ha I don't judge people, but I will say this. If, if we're looking at our society as a whole right now, just, just on that piece alone, what you just said, if we look at our society right now, and we try to control how our children respond to certain things and how they, how their emotions are. If we try to tell them that they're right or wrong and having that emotion, then we only have ourselves to blame down the road when those children are emotionally unstable. Hallelujah. Because who the hell am I? to tell my daughter that she shouldn't be upset about something. Instead, if she does get upset, I sit down with her and I, and I ask her to explain to me why she's sad. Why does that I, make me sad? I have to call parents out on that all the time. And what it's rooted in is parents that are uncomfortable with their own emotions. So if a child is angry, don't get you started, right? <laughs> something tells me that somebody near and dear in your life has this challenge off the record off the record <laughs> so so you have a child that is really really angry and you have a parent that says don't you raise your voice to me don't you give me that look or a child that said oh honey cheer up you don't have to feel like that here let me give you a cupcake or take you someplace to make you happy and get you out of that state as quickly as i can because i'm uncomfortable with you feeling like that I, as a mom, I've got a four-year-old daughter and a two-and-a-half-year-old son. My daughter will be four next month. And my daughter is, she's very, she's very sensitive. She's got, she's a very emotional child. And I love that about her. I just, she's so empathetic and kind and caring. And she's so intelligent, like so intelligent that I'm just going, oh my God, I'm, I've got my work cut out for me later in life. Or even now. <laughs> But I, she, she has moments where like her, my son will take a toy away from her and she'll just not a temper tantrum. She'll sit on the floor and she'll just cry like a hard cry. Like she's so upset about it. And 
I do the thing where I say, come here, well, come here. And I console her and, and, and you know, and, and, and make her feel comforted. And my husband gets upset about that because he's like, oh, you know, you're, you're g- giving her permission to have a fit. And I'm like, no, I'm giving her permission to have emotions. I'm giving her permission to be sad or be angry or be upset because her brother just took a toy away from her. Now, obviously, I absolutely, as a parent, as a mother, I'm going to nurture her, but I'm also going to guide her and explain to her she doesn't have to feel that way because she could just have a conversation with her brother instead of crying about it. And, and, and it doesn't, it's doing nothing for her to cry about it because he's not going to give it back to her. That's like the reason why he's doing it is to make her cry, right? And that's exactly what it is. It gratifies him. Like he's, he's a silly little kid. And he, the second he takes it away from her, she starts to cry. And then he'll like come around the corner and look over and just be like, ha ha ha, I made her cry. And it, it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to explain that to her and say to her, you know, is it helping you to cry about it? Are you, is he giving you the toy back? Maybe you should try having that conversation and say, excuse me, or, Hey, (laughs) that's my toy. Give it back to me. Right. And, you know, sometimes it turns into her walking over to him and smacking him upside the head, but it's another, I'm not promoting that. I just want her to understand that there's different ways and different kinds of emotions that she can tap into that. I don't want her to always feel like she has to cry when something like that happens. Um, because I don't think that it, it doesn't fulfill her. And I want her, she's such a powerful little person that I wanted her to, I want her to understand all of the emotions that she could have. And she's really been exploring that. And I love that. I love that she's like been listening to me and understanding I don't have to cry. This doesn't have to make me so upset that I cry. It could make me like aggravated. And now she's doing this thing where she's going, grr. And I'm like, okay, that's another emotion. Yay. (laughs) And one thing you're also teaching her is that you bounce back faster by feeling it instead of fighting it. Because I imagine that you've seen people throughout your life that they try and suck it up and they don't process the emotion and it keeps coming back up and they can't get over it and they hang on to something. It's because they never felt it. They keep fighting it. I'm a heavy crier, Brian. I'm a very emotional person. Oh, I've seen it. It comes out in your videos. I am, I am, I am, I think it makes me a stronger human being because I allow myself to feel those emotions and just let it out. Yeah. You allow yourself to get through it because if you keep trying to stuff it down, then you spend your energy, not on resilience, but on keeping stuff stuck. So by letting yourself have the emotions, you move through that energy, you get to the other side of it and you're able to get back and move forward. I'm having that feeling for a reason. It's the universe or whatever, whatever energies are flowing through me. I embrace the energy, whatever that energy is. I embrace it. I allow myself to have it. And I, exactly, I get through it. And once it's passed through me, I'm like, okay, cool. I had a good hard cry. I have a glass of wine, cup of tea, like whatever. I and I feel so refreshed. I feel great. Are you kidding me? You ever just like, there's like SNL skits that they talk about, like where you just stand in the mirror and you just like, you cry so hard that you feel like you have to stand in the mirror and watch yourself cry. And it's like, oh, that does actually make me feel better to just watch myself cry and look ridiculous, you know? But 
it's a good feeling. It's just, it's a, it's a sweet release and you get, and you get it out. It's like, Oh God, I feel so much freaking better now, you know? So Brian, um, I'm going to pause us just for one second. I have to step away for a moment and go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And then we're going to wrap this up. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> Ah, so much better. Oh my God. Okay. Speaking of releasing, oh my God, seriously, I've been drinking a ton of water. That's um, good. And other things. Yeah. Anyway, tea, water, a really, I have a really good strong cup of coffee in the morning. So here's what I want to do. If you, if you would be kind enough, because I feel like in your expertise, you've been doing this for so freaking long. I feel like there's definitely a very large population of people um, who are tapping into the, I say this very loosely, entrepreneurial space, whether they're doing uh, MLM stuff or they have their own product or they're trying to you know, run an, a, a, an ads agency or start their own podcast, email marketing, anything whatsoever, anything whatsoever. Um, and they get into it and they did the, the shiny object syndrome thing. And then the next thing you know, they're self-diagnosing with ADHD or whatever. Do you have just a few tips to give someone who finds himself getting that scatterbrain feeling happening day in, day out? Are there specific exercises that you yourself do and practice on a regular basis that help you stay focused? Well, not so much exercises, but there are some core beliefs that I highly recommend that you have. I love it. One is that it is not your responsibility to be somebody else. Okay. There are a lot of gurus out there that say, you've got to follow this formula, you've got to do it this way, or you're not going to be a success, and it's all BS. Because what they're telling you is what they did within the context of their personality and their skill set. Yes. You have unique gifts to bring to the table, and gosh darn it, that's what the world needs and wants from you. So that's what you've got to put out there first and foremost. Be you and only you. Start there. The comparison game is very seductive. Somebody's doing this and somebody's much more successful and this person's doing six figures and I'm not, so I must be a failure. Success is defined by progress. Are you making progress? Are you doing something better than you did yesterday? 
the money doesn't come overnight. It only comes overnight in Facebook ads, somebody else's marketing material. It doesn't happen in reality. Okay. Another belief is that you must have a quality network. Entrepreneurship is lonely business. You've got to have people like Trish and one of our best friends, Sarah, Sarah Cruz, who I love and adore, and Mark yeah. Mawinney and, and so many other wonderful people to just have in your circle of influence, meaning that you watch them be themselves and you see how powerful it is. Mm. You see them being authentic and telling their story. Now, it doesn't mean that you go out and tell your story the way they tell their story. What they demonstrate is that it's important to tell your story. And also, you've got to become comfortable with experimentation. You test, you test, and you test some more. Because it's all about putting stuff out there and asking the tribe, what do you think of this? What's your opinion on that? That's how you find out what they want so you can give it to them. And please don't do that for a week and then say, oh, okay, no, I don't like this. Like, give it longer than that, for the love of God. Give it a few months, you know, give it a few months. I, I thank you, Brian, for saying that out loud. You're, you're absolutely right. I agree with you. You can't do it alone. And if you try to do it alone, you're going to drive yourself absolutely freaking bonkers crazy. Because, and, and crazy like in a textbook and <laughs> non-textbook fashion, because it, it, it can be very lonely. And there are days where I do feel very alone in what I'm doing. And sometimes on those days, I just kind of bask in the loneliness for a little bit and just go, okay, this is my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be my own thing. And then other days I'll just hop on a phone call with my friend, Sarah Cruz. And, and we just girl talk, girl talk for an hour in between just, you know, lifting each other up. And it's, um, you have, you, I have found that some of the most unique and amazing friendships I have made have been in the entrepreneurial space in the digital marketing world and on Facebook and on Instagram. And, um, it's, it's very powerful when that happens, but I completely agree with you, even with you. I mean, that the friendship that you and I have established has been very powerful as well. I've watched your journey. You've watched mine. Um, that's why you're on this podcast is we stayed connected and, um, you know, if I can just add to that, something that I have done is, folks, I will tell you this, there are very, there are some very influential people in this big space, like really big names, like not just Tony Robbins, some other big names that if you just get on their email list and just read some of the information that they give you, um, I found somebody, and I'm not even going to say his name because I, I almost feel like it's kind of fun to just have it as a secret, um, but I found someone that I was introduced to through another very influential entrepreneur in the digital marketing space, and I found his emails to be profound for me, like game-changing, life-changing, business-changing. I found productivity in what I'm doing, and it also made me take a step back and go, I what some of the things that I'm doing are not in fact productive. It's just busy stuff and busy stuff is not making me money. And at the end of the day, as much as I want to serve people and bring value and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> at the end of the day, I have mouths to feed. And um, 
the, what I do bring is valuable information and I should be paid for it. And that was another thing that, you know, and paid well. And I, that was another thing that I had those conversations. So I love that you said that and you're absolutely right. Find yourself the right types of people who lift you up, not just when you're doing great, but are there for you and reaching out to you and messaging you and saying, Hey, I haven't seen you. I haven't heard from you in a couple of weeks or a couple of days. Is everything going? Okay. How can I help you? You need to hop on a phone call, whatever. I've done that for a lot of people. I'm not saying that to toot my own horn because other people have done that for me and it means the world to me. And I would not be doing this podcast with you, Brian, if I didn't have the right people doing that with me too. So Brian King, thank you very much for joining me on episode two of the Expert Connection podcast relaunch. I'm so happy that you were able to do this with me today. Um, you are by far one of the most impressive people I have met along this journey because you are absolutely resilient and um, accepting of what is happening in your life on any given day and using what you do have as the tools to, to help other people get through the very similar things. So I applaud you for everything that you do. I'm grateful for our friendship and our connection. And if people were to get a hold of you, I'll have a, a website link on there too, but just tell them out loud, what are some ways that people can get a hold of you if this is something that they think that they need? One way to get a hold of me, there's two ways actually. My main website, which is mindsetbeforeskillset.com. And I also have a new Facebook group for professionals who are dealing with mental health challenges and want some support. And that is the stigmafreezone.com. It'll take you right to the group. That is and, fantastic. And I got to say, Trish, this has been a dream come true to talk to you in person, finally. I am a, a huge admirer of everything you do as a human being. Thank you. And as a social media presence. <laughs> and I feel absolutely blessed that our paths have crossed. Aw. Damn it, Brian. You're going to make me cry, buddy. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate you saying that out loud. That really does mean a lot to me. You're an outstanding human being. Um, I look forward to seeing your, your group grow and listening to all of the lives that you help along the way with their journeys as well. Again, thank you very much for joining me. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get a hold of Brian, you know how to do so. I'm going to have links on this podcast as well. Hey, everyone. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Expert Connection Podcast with Trish Leto. Remember, sharing is caring. If you loved the content within this episode, please let us know by sharing it out to your friends. And more importantly, write us a review. Our purpose is to help you in any way that we can take your business to the next level. If you're interested in being a guest on our podcast, please go to www.trishlito.com and make sure that you request to be a guest. See you on the flip side. Peace out.